You're listening to the official podcast of Church Untitled, located in downtown Vancouver. We are a community set apart to bear His name, in our city, for His glory. We hope that you're blessed and enriched by this message. I want to encourage some people today, if that's okay. Would you like to be encouraged? All right, good. It's a good response. I like that. Um, <clears throat> I want to tell some people in here that you are doing way better than you think you're doing. Like way better than you think you're doing. And that you might be assessing what's happening in your life differently than God's assessing it. Differently than what's actually happening. And encouragement can keep you going forever. It really can. If you have a constant source of encouragement. And some good moms in this room who are constant sources of encouragement. Encouragement can keep you going forever, but discouragement can leave you for dead. You can feel like you're going a million miles an hour and doing great things and all of heaven, the momentum of heaven is at your back. And that one moment of discouragement, when you wake up or you get the text or you hear something that hits you the wrong way, it feels like everything stops in their tracks. Has anybody been there before? There's this passage of scripture that I preach often when it comes to the narrative of how I think the enemy works in our lives, and it's Nehemiah chapter 4. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 7, it talks about these two dudes who were there to discourage the rebuilding of the walls in Jerusalem which is literal, but also metaphorical for the rebuilding of the walls in your guys' lives. God is rebuilding something in you as you give him permission to, as you follow him, he says, okay, I'm gonna take what was ruined and broken and I'm gonna rebuild it into something beautiful. I'm gonna give you a crown of beauty instead of ashes. He's the repairer of the breach, the broken walls that scripture said. Can you just wait a moment with the scripture? Everybody's eyes are up there reading ahead. You guys are keeners. They were upset. These two guys were upset because it says in verse 7 that the rebuilding of the walls was going ahead and that the gaps in the walls were being closed. Let's read it together. Verse 7. When Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs and the Ammonites and the people of Ashdod, listen, heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead, and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. We can take this first and we can understand that there's an enemy of your life, not to emphasize this or overemphasize it, but the scriptures do tell us that we are in war, that we are in warfare, that Jesus has come to give us life and life in abundance, but there's an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Now Jesus has overcome all the works of the enemy but the enemy has not stopped trying. What's interesting about this passage of scripture in Nehemiah chapter four is that the enemy actually never touches Jerusalem, never lays a hand on the people of Jerusalem, not once. But the enemy's tactic was discouragement. The enemy's tactic was to make fun of. The enemy's tactic was to get under their skin to stop the work from within. Right, the big things coming on us in life they're not always the thing that take us out. In fact, I would suggest that oftentimes the big things would actually empower us. 
Say, we're not actually going to be taken out by those things, but I'm going to rise up and come against those things. Verse 11 in Nehemiah chapter 4, we don't have it up there, but it says this. It says, before they know it or see it, we will be among them. Which means that the enemy's tactic is to get inside without you even knowing it. And the way that the enemy does that is via discouragement, intimidation, little thoughts that get in that actually take you out at the source, that mess with your soul. That being said, I'll repeat myself, encouragement can cause you to go forever, but discouragement can leave you for dead. I'm here to tell you today that there's some people in this room that need to know, despite what you feel and the pressure that is against you, that the gaps in the walls of your life are being closed. Because you have given God permission and you've asked him to repair your life, to redeem your life, to restore your life, to save your life. And I'm here to tell you that he is doing that. It is happening despite the pressure that you feel, despite the failing that might be right in front of your face. God is at work and is not intimidated by the things that you may be intimidated by. So when I was in my early 20s, one of my first jobs after high school was in construction. And it was kind of cool because I got to drive a backhoe Got to dig in the ground a little bit with some machines. I don't know what kind of guy trusted a 19, 20-year-old with that kind of machinery. Knocked a few things over, true story. But we used to dig these holes and we placed manholes in them, right? The things that you see on the street, you can open up the lid and you can go down. And if you've ever opened one up before, you can understand that it's really, really deep. And so we open up the ground and we start laying this manhole and it's just cylinder of cement but it's different layers of it. So you'd have one that's two feet deep and then you stack another one that's two feet and you stack another one that's a foot or another one that's foot until you get to the surface level. And there was one of them that actually broke. And because I was the employee and I had an employer, I was the one that had to go in the pit and repair the one that was broken. So we put the broken one in and we covered it with dirt. And in the ground, if you dig, you'll know that there's something called groundwater, that there's a lot of water in the ground. And because there were cracks in this manhole, there was cracks in the walls, there was gaps in the walls, the water kept on pouring in to the manhole. And the purpose of having cement around the outside is so that water does not go in, right? So the purpose of this barrier, the purpose of this cement was not actually being fulfilled because there was cracks in the wall. And so it was my job as the employee getting paid $15 an hour to get in that hole and start repairing the cracks. And I would put cement or grout on those cracks. But because the water was so, there's so much volume of water on the outside, the pressure would keep on pushing the water through. So even though the gaps in the cracks were getting smaller, the pressure of the water coming in was getting greater. You noticed this before. You take a hose, you stick your thumb on the end of the hose, the pressure of the water coming through is greater because the volume of water trying to get through is the same, but the hole it's trying to get through is smaller. And so when the gaps of the walls of your life are getting smaller, the enemy's still at work and the pressure's still up. The volume of, of, of evil and of hatred is still against your life. But as the gap gets smaller, it feels like the pressure is getting greater. But the scriptures say 
that if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come, which means we are and are still becoming that new creation, which means you are moving forward in Christ Jesus. If you feel like the pressure's just turned up, it's because there's something beautiful happening in your life. Progress is being made. Somebody needs to hear this today. And Paul tells Timothy something. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says this, verse 7, have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. Don't have anything to do with a lie, something that's other than what God has said about your life. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the one to come. It says, train yourself in godliness, which means if I want to go out there and run a 42-kilometer marathon, I don't say from the get-go, I'm going to run that 42K. I say, I'm going to start with kilometer one. Then I'm going to go for kilometer two and three. I'm going to train myself in those things so that one day I might become the one that can make it 42 kilometers. Sometimes I think we are discouraged because we have our eye on the godliness. We have our eye in Jesus and we say, there's no way, despite how hard I try, I can make it to that level of godliness. My heart wants to be over there, but the limitations of my life won't let me get there. And Paul says it beautifully. He says, train yourself in godliness. One step at a time. Keep moving forward. If you aim for the 42K, if you aim for the marathon and you fail, don't stop. Keep going. Try again. Train yourself so that you can go further and further and further. Train yourself in godliness. And then 1 Timothy Verse 4, I mean, chapter 4, verse 15 says this, Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. Which means there's room in your life to not be perfect. Just because you're not achieving perfection does not mean you're not headed in the right direction. Don't get distracted by my rhyming there. You're heading in the right direction. There's progress in your life. Just because you haven't attained godliness to its fullness does not mean you're, moving, you're not moving forward in godliness. You are in Christ Jesus. And do so in a way that others can actually see your progress, not your perfection. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. Praise God for that. Can anybody say that today? Does anybody know that today? I want to encourage some people. We have this mountain that haunts us in North Vancouver. It's called Grouse Mountain. And it haunts you because you've tried the grouse grind before. And it just beat you to a pulp. But there's two ways up Grouse Mountain, right? There's the gondola or there's the grind. Ultimately, we want to get to the top, don't we? We want to achieve what it means to reach the top of Grouse Mountain. And I think it's the same way in life. 
Psalm 24, who will ascend the hill of the Lord? We want to be where God is. We want the fulfillment of the promise in God. We want to tap into and fulfill every ounce of potential that God has placed in our lives. That's called fulfillment. We're all looking for fulfillment in our lives. And if you know Jesus, you're looking for fulfillment in Him and the things that He has placed in your life. There's two ways to that place. Jesus can do it in an instant. He can take you up the gondola and take you to the top. Or He can walk you to the top. He can process you to the top. He can train you to the top. He can move you forward to the top. We want to get to the top. And guess what? God wants you to get to that place too. He's not keeping you from your dreams. He's not keeping you from the fulfillment of the promise. It's His very promise that He wants to fulfill. Someone needs to know today that it's not God keeping you from great things in your life. He wants them for you more than you want them. The difference in separation though sometimes is this, that God wants to transform us on the way to the top. But transformation most often comes by way of pain. If you've done the grind before, you know that it comes via pain. But if you do the grind and you go to the top, you will be transformed in the process. The way you started, you'll be very different when you finish. Mentally and physically, there'll be something in you that has changed because you climbed a mountain from the bottom to the top. You would say, this is difficult. This is hard. This is taking every ounce of life out of me to make it to the top. But look, I made it. I did it once, now I can do it again. I did it once, now I can do it faster. I did it once, now I know that I have what it takes to make it to the top. But before I tried, I didn't know that I had what it took. See, if we value transformation, we can also place value in the process. And thus, properly categorize pain in our lives as good. But it's only if you value transformation. If you just want to go to the top and neglect the process that God wants to take you through, I'm telling you right now, your life will be incredibly frustrating. Because you'll keep on going to Grouse Mountain and hoping that God's going to one day say, you're going to go on the gondola to the top. And he keeps on saying, no, we're going to walk to the top. But me, as a person, that desires to be fit, as a person who desires to be healthy, as a person who desires to engage, to see what kind of potential I have in my body. I don't want to take the gondola to the top. I want to walk to the top. I want to see if I have what it takes to make it to that place. And if I find out that I don't, I want to try it again and train myself so that I can go further and further and further. See, it's producing something in us that is necessary. That's what transformation does. It produces something in us that is necessary. It produces strength. It, it, it produces endurance. It trains us in things. See, when we get a glimpse from God about our future or promises, we immediately want that thing, don't we? We just want to become the thing that God has promised us. We want to do the thing. What's interesting about discipleship is that 
God has called us to do what he does, right? In Jesus, that Jesus has called us to do the things on this world that he modeled for us to do. That's beautiful. We should chase signs and we should chase wonders, healing and the miraculous and all of these things. But discipleship is also becoming like him. Jesus desires for us to be transformed into his image so that we can do the things that he did. But if we're so focused on doing the things and neglecting being transformed, then we're going to actually miss out on the things. See, discipleship is being with him, becoming like him, and doing as he did. Luke chapter 5 verse 52 says of Jesus that he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with men. Jesus grew in these things. Who are we to say that we can skip them? The reason why that the gap is not completely closed is because God is training us in godliness. He's showing us what it means to actually walk with him, to have those gaps in our walls to be closed. He's not intimidated by the process because he's the one carrying the process. All he needs is us to agree with the process. But it's the moments where we look at the pain of our lives and ask whether or not God is with us are the moments that we actually apprehend and don't allow God to do what he wants to do in our lives. We can't let him do it because we're not agreeing with it. So instead of saying to Jesus, let's go and do, we need to say to Jesus, let's become. Let's run. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, right? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. That is amazing, and God has called us to it. But we often forget every other verse that God places in there about us becoming like him so that we can do those things. And so I think some of the pain or anxiety, some of the mistrust in God will start to decrease as we look at our pain in the process differently. That he actually is taking us to the promise, but he's doing it in a different way than we first expected. When we have a collision with Christ, when we feel his presence, when he fills us with promise, I think in my experience and maybe the people that I walk with, we're not immediately seeing the process that he needs to take us through for the fulfillment of that promise. And so we start walking and it's a lot more painful than we felt in that beautiful service where God filled us with his presence. So in this church, we know that it happens both in moments and in movements, that God will transform you in a moment. He'll do that. But it's usually a sign of things to come. It's a promise. It's a deposit of something further that he gives us a taste and a touch of his presence so we know that his presence goes with us wherever we go. So when we face pain and we face process, we can understand that his presence is in us and with us and he is transforming us into his likeness, his likeness in that process. So I need to tell you today, if you're feeling squeezed, if you're feeling pressure, if you feel like you don't know what the heck is going on, yet you have said yes to Jesus, you are in process. And the good news is that he is transforming you into his image in that process. 
If your desire is to become like Jesus, then you are in good hands. If your desire is to get to the top without becoming like Jesus, I'm telling you, it's going to be a very, very, very painful journey. Because His promise is becoming like Him. And so we can be in that process of transformation. We can say yes to it. And then we wake up that one day and we're like, man, this is harder than I expected. This is more difficult than I anticipated. And those little thoughts get in. Like Sanballat and Tobiah, the dudes in Nehemiah, they start speaking. Maybe it's you, maybe it's a friend, maybe it is the voice of the enemy in your life. You're like, can I actually do this? If I do do it, will it be as significant as I thought it would be? Is it going to provide for me? Will I be loved if I do this? All of these thoughts creep in. What about my past? What about my shame? What about what I did yesterday? Is that going to steer me away from the promise? We wake up and we are discouraged again. I'm going up the grind and I think I'm three quarters done. And I see that stupid sign that says you're one quarter done. Does anybody have a tendency to be discouraged every once in a while? So you're on the process. You're moving forward. Deep down inside, you're saying yes to transformation. But on the surface and on a bad day, you're like, this sucks. I actually want out. Getting quiet, but I'm assuming that we're all human here, right? So we have this beautiful verse in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. It says this, For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. But the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. Though the righteous stumble, get discouraged, get emotional, say no, badmouth somebody, don't show up to church, make poor decisions, even though all those things happen, they rise again. The gaps are being closed and it gets too much for me to bear and I'm going to stop processing. I'm going to stop moving forward. But the righteous, they rise again. What is it about the righteous that we can identify in them, in us, that we rise again? Is it like a Marvel movie? where we get bit by the spider and now we have some radioactive thing happening in us where we just bounce off the ground when we fall down. What is it about the righteous that rise again? Is it the rising again that makes them righteous? We say no in this moment. But I think there's times in our lives where we identify whether we're righteous or not, whether we rise again, based on whether we rise again. I'm telling some people in this room that are down in this moment that you are righteous and you will rise again. And I'm going to show you how in just a moment. Because it's the righteousness in you is the thing that makes you bounce up off the ground. Not bouncing up off the ground that identifies you as righteous. But the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. Scriptures say, Hebrews chapter 6 that we have this anchor for our soul. Have you heard this before? You know what your soul is? It's a very complicated thing that is part of us in some way, shape, or form. That helps nobody, I know. But it is, right? 
What is this soul thing in me? Well, a lot of people categorize it this way. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. Let's just take, well, let's take all three. They change all the time, don't they? They waver. They go high. They go low. One day I'm this and one day I'm that. One day I feel this about God. One day I feel this about God. One day I'm encouraged in Him. And the next I'm like, I don't know. But we have this anchor for our soul. If you've been in Christendom for any time, you would see these tattoos on everyone's arms. An anchor, right? Go to a youth conference in the States. Ask them to show me their skin on their arms and there's bound to be an anchor tattoo on there somewhere. Probably on a wrist. Any anchor tattoos in the room right now? Yes! I'm preaching to you. There we go. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. Did you get it for this scripture? You, you didn't know for a moment. Someone had to answer for you. Love it. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. And that's why those tattoos are so beautiful because they are symbols outwardly of something that we have inwardly. We have this reminder on our arms, so to speak, of something that we can tether our life to over and over and over again. But I'm here this morning convinced that we need to not just get tattoos of anchors in water, but maybe someone needs to get like a wall tattoo. I mean, a wall anchor tattooed on their arm. You know what a wall anchor is? From Ikea, yeah. Man, wall anchors, anybody? Okay, when you want to hang a picture, you put an anchor in the wall so it doesn't come out of the wall. Or any rock climbers in here. When you ascend a hill, when you ascend a mountain, you climb it, you put an anchor in there. I'm going to get a tattoo of a, a rock climbing anchor on my arm. Yeah. Some encouragement like right there. I love it. You all kept your mouth shut. That was very discouraging. I have this hope as an anchor for my soul. And I think there's times when we are climbing the mountain, we're going to the top, we're pursuing the dream, and we slip and we fall. We lose hope and we lose grip on the thing that we're actually pursuing. But as you fall, you're going to collide with something. Something's going to catch you. It's an anchor that you have placed as you've climbed up that you cannot go below. The faithfulness of God you've anchored yourself into because guess what? He has done it before and he will do it again. He's gotten you out of that slump and he's going to get you out of the slump that you're in right now. You failed, but his blood covers that failure. He did it 2,000 years ago for today. So those moments when you slip and you fall on the way up because you're anchored in Him, you can't go lower than that anchor. Hebrews chapter 6 tells us that God has placed promises in your life. That God has placed promises that He's placed in you before you were born. But those promises and the strength of them is not found in your righteousness. It's found in His righteousness. So when the righteous fall and they get back up, it's not because they have a righteousness of their own. It's because they have tethered themselves or anchored themselves into the righteousness of God. 
that when I slip and fall on my journey, it's the righteousness and the faithfulness and the goodness of God that catches me as I go down. Which tells me that I cannot stay down and I have to keep going because he hasn't failed and he will, won't fail me ever. He has not failed me yet. And so verse 18 of chapter 6 in Hebrews, it says this. So it is impossible for God to lie. For when we know that his promise and his vow, it will never change. And now we have run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. This is where we find strength and we find comfort. For he empowers us to seize what has already been established ahead of time. An unshakable hope. We have this certain hope like a strong, unbreakable anchor hiding our souls, holding our souls, I'm sorry, to God himself. Our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat which sits in the heavenly realm beyond the sacred threshold and where Jesus, our forerunner, the one who went first, has gone in before us. He is now and forever our royal priest like Melchizedek. And so we climb and we ascend and we go to the place of promise in our lives and we slip and we fall because we're human. But we don't stay down and we don't stay broken and we don't stay helpless and we don't stay discouraged because when we fall, there's something that catches us. And when that something, when that Jesus, when his faithfulness catches us, that's the only impetus we need to keep on going. We're reminded of his goodness. We're reminded of the journey that he took long before to show us the way that in all the suffering that he endured, we could follow him through our own suffering and find life on the other side. This is the goodness of our God. This is the promise of Jesus. This is the beauty of the one in whom we anchor our souls. Because when life wavers, there's one who doesn't. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. God knows I need an anchor for my soul. And that's why he sent us Jesus. He put something in us, in creation, a potential and a promise to be fulfilled. Genesis chapter one, Genesis chapter two, a cultural mandate to fill this earth with beauty and to subdue it, to do beautiful things. And something happened. Our soul got in the way. Our desires came up. We said no to the promise of God and yes to the lie of the enemy. And thus sin entered this world through one man named Adam. Hebrews tells us though that a second Adam has come. A second Adam has come. So we're not anchored anymore into the sin and the failure of the past. We're now anchored into the perfection and the beauty of Jesus, our future. We've now unhooked ourselves from what was dragging us down in the past and hooked ourselves into the thing, Jesus Christ, that is moving us into our future. I'm no longer who I was. I am who I am becoming. Band, you guys can come back. We hide ourselves in his faithfulness. God said of Moses, 
that he hid him in the cleft of the rock. You know what this means? That as he was climbing a mountain, there was a little cave in that mountain. There was a little hole in that mountain. There's people in here today, I believe this is from the Lord, that you think you're falling behind and you think you're failing, but God is actually only hiding you in the cleft of the rock on the mountain that you're climbing up. He's hiding you in his faithfulness. You feel like life and people are moving faster than you, but he's actually called you into a crevice, called you into a corner so that he can minister to you in that place. You're not going behind, you're actually staying put, and that's the goodness of God. He's built something into your life called rest, seasons of pause, seasons of presence, and he is with you in those places. And you're not falling behind in comparison. If everybody else is moving forward, it does not matter. What matters is that you're in the place that God has called you to. And if it's a season of pause, season of rest, season of hearing his voice, that's the place he wants you. That's the place of transformation. That's the place of anchoring so that you are equipped with what you need as he sends you forth. Don't neglect what God is doing in the present because what he's doing in the present is to fill you with what you need for the future. That's for some people. And there's other people in this room that are clearly walking the wrong way. We laugh, but it's true. And I, it happens to us all the time if we're human. Every day, moments that we're like, oh, actually, I'm not doing God what you called me to do today. We might like overemphasize the big ones and underemphasize the small ones, but actually think they're all the same in God's eyes. Obedience is relative to where you are and what he's called you to. If God tells me to wake up at 6 a.m. and I wake up at 6.30, it's disobedience, right? To the bigger ones that we've collided with in our lives, to the, the rebellious walking away from the Lord. Cannot an anchor sustain you in those moments? When you slip and fall and gravity is taking its hold on your life and you feel like there's no recovering, what is an anchor for? To catch you in those moments. And you feel like all the, 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 the impetus of this world and the, the failure, all the movement that it has caused in your life, I'm telling you that the anchor of God's faithfulness is greater than any failure or sin that you could ever put your hand to. That's the beauty of the cross. Are there any amens in this place? This is a beautiful truth. This is a beautiful truth. It's not coming from me. You're not amening me. You're amening the word of God, scriptures. And so today I simply, I simply, as we move into this fall, I simply want to call people again to re-anchor yourself in Jesus. If you're climbing the wall, you anchor yourself and you climb some more and then you anchor yourself, and you climb some more, and you anchor yourself. What Hebrews tells us is that we anchor ourselves in His faithfulness. And there's some people in this room that need to acknowledge the faithfulness of God in their lives to insert that anchor once again. That I will not go back anymore, but I will move forward. He's done it once, He'll do it again. Every brick on that wall is a testimony of God's faithfulness. I'm telling you that you have thousands, if not millions of bricks stacked up in your life to a monument of God's faithfulness. 
You don't have to look very far to see that there's so many places that you could anchor your life to. He has gotten you here. He's walked you into this place. You are listening to the Word of God. You're hearing hope being poured into your soul. That is the faithfulness of God, despite every single choice that we've made in our lives that would determine us not being in this room today. We're in this room today. Faithfulness of God. Can we today anchor ourselves to the faithfulness of God again? So that as Sam said, we are not those of those who shrink back, but we press on and we take hold of that which God has called us to in the name of Jesus. Because God has called us to move from strength to strength, from grace to grace, from glory to glory. Just because your life isn't perfect, let me repeat, does not mean you're not heading in the right direction. If you have your eyes locked on Him, keep moving towards Him. And so in that analogy that I brought up, that story that I spoke of at the beginning of the manhole, I kept on trying to cover that place with cement. I kept on trying to cover that place with grout. And the interesting thing about cement and grout is that it actually is made up of water. So it actually has no ability to withstand or resist water coming in. And I think for some of us in this room, we've actually been trying to manage our process. We've been trying to manage moving forward in life. We're trying to do it in our own discipline, in our own strength. We're trying to self-help our way forward. We've been looking to help in the resources that actually aren't born by the Spirit of God in His direction for your life. And so when I struggled trying to patch that hole for an entire day, my boss comes to me and says, oh, you're doing it the wrong way. Why didn't you come talk to me? I got something for you. And it was actually an oil-based sealant, something that actually repels water. So when I would place it over that, the water could not get through. And I'm just here to tell some people this morning that yes, it's been a struggle and yes, you are progressing, but it's time. We start saying yes to God's spirit, his strategy, his will, his purpose for your life, and watch it repel every ounce of the attack of the enemy on your life. You've heard this story of mine before, but in a season of just pressure, like that story that I could not get through. Let's be honest, there's things that we've been struggling through and our tires are spinning in whatever it is, and we can't seem to get a grip or move forward. We might have seasons of, of what looks like progress, but we just find ourselves back at the beginning. I was in that in my life, and it had to do with the discouragement of the enemy, anxiety and stress and panic and fatigue and all of those things. And a friend of mine, a pastor of mine, he told me, dude, every morning you just need to wake up. You need to put oil on your forehead symbolic of the Holy Spirit. That you're not actually going to find your way through this, but you're going to find your way to Him, and He's going to get you through this. What I'm telling you today is that, yes, your struggle has been in the right direction, but it's with the wrong resource. You've been trying to fight water with water, but God wants to give you oil to repel the water. 
God wants to cover your mind. He wants to cover your heart. He wants to cover your soul with his grace, with his anointing, with his purpose, so that enemy walks up to that place and says, ah, I have no business being here. I can't be here. The blood of Jesus is here. The anointing of Christ is here. The per this person has been purposed, purposed for this destiny, and I can't touch it. The scriptures say that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. So you know what the enemy tries to do? He tries to get you to pick up that weapon and use it on yourself. Meaning this, all he can do is try to get you to believe the lie that comes out of his mouth. And when you believe the lie, it becomes your truth. And you start speaking lies over yourself and lies over your situation. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Not one. The blood of Christ covers you but we need to be aware of discouragement and that it has its root and its lie in the enemy of your life. And that's the only way you can get inside is by discouraging you. So I'm telling you today, the encouragement of Christ is in this room. And it's not about how well you're doing, despite what I've told you today. It's about how well he's done. And you can tether your soul to him and that he's going nowhere. He's still on his throne. He's still on his throne. He is undefeated. Thanks for listening to the Church Untitled podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date on our latest messages. For more about what's happening in our community, follow us on social media or visit us at churchuntitled.com.